Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. I'm your host, Danielle, and welcome back to another episode of The Mom Files. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have Rebecca Michi. You are a children's sleep consultant, and you've been working with families in general for 20 years and as a sleep consultant for 12. And then you recently released the baby sleep plan on Amazon. I saw in Canada, we have it available there. So thank you for joining the mom files. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So how did you find yourself becoming a sleep consultant? Well, as you mentioned, my, I've worked with families for many, many years. My background is in child development. I have a degree in child development. So I was working with families in many different capacities. Um, and then when I had my kids and I was looking to going back to work, I was a little unsure as to what it was that I wanted to do. Uh, my husband had a real crazy job with crazy hours. Um, and so I thought starting my own business would be a really great way. I set my own hours. It would just be a little bit more manageable. Um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I started with actually just working with families on everything kind of parenting related. And so I was a parenting consultant and I was working with families that way. And then I started really working with sleep because virtually every family were getting me in and we needed to resolve sleep issues. So I was working with a family with a three-year-old who was having really, really, really um, challenging tantrums. And when we get down to it, yeah, the three-year-old's only sleeping for five hours a night. And I'd probably be having tantrums if I was only sleeping for five yes. hours a night. And so it just sort of so many times I was working with sleep. And that's when I then realized I need to be really focusing on this because this is what parents really, really need. Um, and when I started as a sleep consultant, there was only um, one other sleep consultant on the on the West Coast of the US. Um, so, yeah, that was That's really insane to think it was really in its infancy right then. And so it was just sort of, um, yeah, came on and started doing that and have been doing that for over 12 years now. That's incredible. What are some of the common misconceptions that you found then, especially since you, you started sort of at the beginning? I'm sure there's been been many of them. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, so I'm a little bit more of a gentle sleep consultant, so I don't use the cried out sleep training technique for a number of reasons. Um, but one misconception is that I'm just going to suggest that you leave your child to cry alone. I mean, you don't really need me to tell you this just to do that. Uh, but that's not what I do. I work a much more hands on gentle way, a lot more um, and try to sort of really look at what the child is an individual um, and seeing what it is that they need and working with them rather than against them. That gets us to sleep um, much easier, more longer term results as well. And so that's really is the real misconception is that I'm going to be telling people to leave their children just to cry it out. Another is that I am I'm going to encourage mothers to stop breastfeeding and that is just I am not going to be doing that at all um, it's really important um, that 
you know, whatever the age that um, if a mother still wants to continue to breastfeed, that I'm able to support the family within that, whether that's with a three month old or a three year old, there's no right or wrong. Um, and um, just another misconception is that I'm going to be like a drill master and I'm going to be coming in and it's my way or the highway. Not at all. That is not how I work. I work as a as um, an addition to your family and as a cheerleader for your family. And I want to get you and your family the best possible sleep without any tears whatsoever. And I really want families to feel supported in their um, in their journey to getting a better night's sleep, which may not be sleeping through the night, but it's more sort of normal. We're looking at what's normal and getting the best possible sleep. Um, we're not necessarily looking for perfect because perfect when it comes to parenting is not something it's that's non-existent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're looking for good enough. Um, that's what, you know, I'm not going to let um, perfect get in the way of uh, good enough. So we're looking at sort of like, okay, where are we? What can realistically can we work with? What can we, what can we do? What's normal? I think that's really important is looking at what's actually normal developmentally for, uh, for children um, and then working with that and getting everyone the best possible night's sleep. I love that. And just stepping back to, to the, the breastfeeding, that was something I did notice on your Instagram, which I really liked. You had a, a little blurb sort of if your child wakes up hungry or thirsty in the night feed them like if you wake up hungry or thirsty you would want it to eat or drink how often do we have like a a cup of water beside the bed in case we're thirsty in the night exactly think parents often or i know it for myself you almost forget when you're looking at your baby that they too are a human with human needs so my husband needs a dark room he needs complete silence he needs the perfect temperature or he's not going to sleep. Yeah. So we need to figure out what those tiny humans need to, to create those environments for them. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. With regard to the feed, it just seems that there's so much pressure on parents to no longer feed during the night. And you'll hear from everybody has an opinion on when a child no longer needs to feed during the night, whether it's breastfeeding or um, formula feeding. Um, But yeah, everybody has an opinion and there is actually nothing out there. There's nothing medical, there's nothing scientific, there's nothing to say when a child will not need to feed during the night. But everybody has an opinion on when a child should no longer feed during the night and whether that's four months old or when they weigh 12 pounds or whatever that is. And there's nothing to say that that's the case yet. Some children are sleeping through the night and no longer needing to feed at 12 weeks. But some are nearer to 12 months, some are beyond 12 months, and both are normal because yeah. there's no there's no sort of definite definite age or stage. It's the same as if your child is, uh, with, when you look at children who are walking, some are really, really young and are seven months old. And I can't even imagine having a seven month old who's walking, that would just be the most stressful thing I think ever. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> But then some children are not walking until they're 18 months and that range is normal. And we don't send our eight month olds to physical therapy because they're not working, not walking and some are. We don't do that, but it just seems that with this feed thing that, oh my gosh, my child is not going through the night without a feed that I need to, I need to push them to, to no longer feed during the night when they may still need to feed during the yeah. night. And I remember going just for one of our wellness checks with my my son in particular and the doctor being like, oh, you know what? He's hit like 13 or 14 pounds. Like he doesn't need to be fed at mm-hmm. night anymore. Let yourself sleep. And I'm like, 
but that was also our bonding time. Yeah. So no, I'm still going to get up. I also got some of the best reading done <laughs> because my, my daughter who was three at that time, I'm like, she's not pestering me. She's sound asleep. Yeah. We're getting these good cuddles in. And I was almost sad when all of a sudden he was like, I can sleep through the night. See you at 8am. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those snuggles are wonderful, aren't they? They really, really are. Uh, yeah. It's horrible getting, being, you know, repeatedly woken up during the night is not anybody's favorite thing. You know, if it's happening again and again and again during the night, it's really, really not. And I'm not saying that we need to enjoy nighttime wake-ups. Yeah, we're human. We don't necessarily enjoy being woken up every two hours during the night. It's no. tough, but those snuggles, one, are really, really nice. Having that snuggly, quiet time when it's just you and your child and there's sort of very little distraction around, which we get during the day, is really, really nice. It's a really great time. If you look at, you know, breastfeeding, that's when your milk supply is going to be at its best. It's going to, you're going to be having more milk during the night than you will late afternoon, early evening. So it sort of is looking sort of developmentally what's normal and it's kind of nice. But yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat that you've got to. I'm not going to be one of these people that say, oh, you, you know, you're going to miss these wake-ups when your child is older. You know, I have two teenagers. I do not miss nighttime wake-ups at no, all. No, even now my son just turned three in April. And if he's had like a bad nightmare or even just like slept mm. too much during the day or something mm. and gets up at night, I'm out for the count for like two days. I'm not yeah. built to have my sleep broken. Like that. there's a reason you're growing growing I don't want yeah. to forever not be able to sleep it really knocks you out doesn't it when it you does. if, after you've been getting decent sleep and you suddenly have one or two of these crazy nights because your child is sick and you think how did I survive <laughs> I, I, I know to do this? absolutely I'm like what what has happened that this is killing me so much now definitely you get used to how we sleep we used to waking up often we adapt to waking up often if we're used to sleeping sort of a certain way continuously for however many hours when that's disrupted it's just a real change obviously and so we 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 adapt but then when something like this comes along oh we struggle it's really really tough really tough now up to what age group or age of child do you typically work with up to six years old um, I work with families who have children up to six years old. The average age, though, that I work with is about eight or nine months old. Um, so we're looking then. But yeah, and obviously it's a broad range of ages and issues that I work with. And so with an eight month old, it's really different than with a five year old. The issues are going to be different and we're going to handle things very, very differently. Um, it's not often that I'm working with children who are over four, uh, but no, I certainly do. Okay. Now with those older children, what are some of the, the problems that you find? So um, it can be um, a whole range of things. Um, with some older children, it can be um, them wanting to be in charge of bedtime um, and procrastination. I mean, you have to think sort of toddlers, preschoolers are expert procrastinators. If it was an Olympic sport, we'd be sending them to the Olympics because they are so good at it. So good at it. Um, and so there's the delay, delay, delay. Um, they're also um, very smart. And so knowing that um, how they are, the possibility of being in charge and manipulating things during the night. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, a child who's had a bad dream needs help. But a child who's waking up 
and then they're doing certain things because the way that you respond is that they'll very quickly learn that, hey, if I want to be watching some TV in the middle of the night, this is what I need to do to get that to happen. And this is when we're this is when we find things a little bit more challenging is in the middle of the night you know we can be okay we're not going to watch tv until whatever time we're not going to do this until this and we very sort of we have our rules and we'll stick with them but when we're woken up and we're tired and we're sleep deprived then we have a lot more wiggle room with our choices we're not then yeah. as you it's know a lot easier like, to break us down oh totally yes it's just you know you just like, i'll just do whatever to get yeah. you back sleep and we yeah. get back to sleep whatever it takes especially if a wake-up is going on for a long time or you're getting you know night after night after night then um that can then be challenging is that your child then knows what it is that they need to do to get something to happen whether that's watching tv coming into your bed whatever it is and then when you try and stop doing that yeah they're not happy they're not the ones who are deciding hey, you know, I'm done with these wake-ups. I'm done with watching the TV in the, uh, during the night. They're not the one deciding that. And so that's very hard for you then to sort of, if you've been doing something one way, to be changing that up um, and getting back in charge. That can be really, really tricky. So oftentimes that's um, what I'm working with, with children who are a little bit older. We can also be looking at children who are having bad dreams um, and night terrors and things like this um, to be sort of making sleep a little bit easier. And a lot of these things are, there's no definite, oh, you just need to do this one thing and it fix, but it's looking at, we call it sleep hygiene and it's making sure that our sort of, that our, we're getting as relaxed as possible and making a really great clean sleep environment. That means that the bedroom is nice and calm and relaxing. As you say, that your husband needs this, his sleep to be a certain way and then he sleeps. Um, and so that's the same for all of us, really. We all have our own little rituals and, uh, you know, a cool space is a little bit easier to sleep in um, with le less clutter. And looking at all of these and working on getting our children relaxed before sleep, because children are not great at relaxing themselves. You just sort of, you know, say, hey, you just go and relax over there. They're not relaxing. They're not doing the same thing that you and I are doing. Like, oh, I can relax. You know, they're, they're not doing the same thing that you and I do when we get into bed at the beginning of the night. We're just like, oh, this is great. They're not doing that. They're doing just like, uh, what are we doing now? And it's just sort of they go, 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 go. So creating that sort of that really nice, relaxing sleep environment and helping them to relax can change not only our beginning of the night without falling asleep, but then during the night looking at dreams that are going to be happening just that how then that may make dreams a little bit easier for them a little bit less anxiety which will then mean that they're less likely to have bad dreams and then the same if we're looking at night terrors then getting a child the amount of sleep that they need and then making that as easy and sort of a smooth transition into sleep can really change the during the night a lot of times families think that oh, we're dealing with nighttime wake-ups and we're dealing with night terrors happening at this time that's the area I need to fix. Well, I will come in and I'm looking at everything else. I'm looking at the bedroom. I'm looking at uh, your nighttime routine, how relaxing that is. I'm looking at if you're working on napping during the day, how long the nap is, um, what time the nap is, how your child is falling asleep. We're looking at all of those things before we then start even thinking about the during the night, because working on those things, one, is easier to do, working on daytime things always easier than the middle of the night things absolutely and it always has a positive impact on nighttime on our during the night falling asleep and remaining asleep it's always going to be positively impacted by working on everything else so it may be that by working on our daytime sleep getting really nice and relaxed before sleep 
that actually we can reduce night terrors happening. They may not happen as much, or we can then maybe reduce bad dreams happening. Um, and so then that your child is going to be having less wake-ups, it's less times for you to be managing those wake-ups. We need tactics for those, yes. But if you don't need to be getting up as many times a night, it's easier for you then to get up during the night. Absolutely. I know my daughter, so she's six, but she's such a creature of habit. Mm -hmm. So she needs that bedtime story every night. She has, yeah. we've been singing the same lullaby for like three years now. Lovely. And if anything is missed, she's probably going to have some sort of bad dream or something yeah. will startle her in the night and hands down, she'll be knocking on our door mm -hmm. and, and coming into bed. Yeah. But if she has that structure, she almost always sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how we are. You know, we are really creatures of habit, especially when it comes to sleep. And we probably, even if you don't think that you have a nighttime routine for yourself, you probably do. You're doing the same things that whether it's that you're watching some TV and then at a certain time you're going to be going to bed, you may read for a little bit. You probably have the same routine of brushing your teeth and washing your face or showering, whatever that is. You've got this little routine. And what this is doing is this is cueing to the brain that sleep is coming. You're going to be, oh, we're doing this, followed by this, followed by this. This means I'm going to be falling asleep fairly soon. And it's starting to get ready and it's starting to sort of unwind starting to get ready for sleep, making sleep easier to do. So you know that those nights when you have a babysitter, uh, do you remember that when you used to go out in the evening and you used to leave your kids with a babysitter? You remember those days. Yesteryear when we could go places. <laughs> yeah, you remember those days. So um, yeah, you have the babysitter and you're like rushing through the bedtime routine so that you can get out because you're just like, woohoo, I'm going out. Freedom. That's when your kids are not falling asleep quickly. They're just like, hey, what's what's happening? Where are we going? What are we doing? They're picking up on that and it's not relaxing for them because you're not as relaxed as you normally are. And then that's the nights that they're going to struggle with sleep. So, yeah, we totally are creatures of habit and just sort of consistency is really really important when it comes to sleep because it makes it so much easier for us to do and I, I know a lot of people don't feel that they have routines i don't like routine i like to be you know just to do things as and when we need to do it but bedtime routine is something that we should all have um whether you have an infant or for yourself because it is going to make sleep so much easier for all of us you know do you find a lot of um kids because i know with adults oftentimes are told blue lights terrible so for 30 to 40 minutes before you're going to bed turning off devices don't be looking at your phone and all of those things do you find that that's something um that kids are struggling with as well that might be impacting how they're able to fall asleep oh definitely definitely is and another thing that we don't necessarily think of but it's the same blue light is energy saving light bulbs so energy saving light bulbs have oh. the same spectrum as a screen does and we know that we will that we should shouldn't have screen time and oftentimes we don't it's adults are a little harder to convince with this but we do this with our kids is that we know okay and as part of our routine we won't have screen time um so the blue light inhibits the production of melatonin it's the same spectrum as sunlight and so the brain is thinking hey the sun is still up this is not time for me to be getting ready for bed even if you're going through your routine you're not beginning to produce melatonin a hormone that induces sleep we want this we want as much of this as possible so, but energy saving light bulbs are exactly the same spectrum. So even if you are not having screen time and you're going into your bedroom and you're turning your energy saving light bulbs on, then you're gonna be inhibiting that production of melatonin, which is going to make it harder for you to fall asleep. 
Um, so if you can get incandescent light bulbs, just for, you can just have like a lamp in the room. It doesn't mean that you've got to change all of them in your house, but maybe the, mm. the lamp that you have on in the room as you're getting ready for bed, that that is going to be um, the, la the, the light that you have on. That's then going to be okay for um, production of melatonin. Um, they are coming out with energy saving light bulbs now that are more orange and they will say on them that they are for night and they will say that they will help with melatonin production. They're still a little bit pricey, but um, they're definitely coming down in price from what they were a few years ago. They were like $50 each, um, but now they're definitely coming down in price. So it's worth looking out for if you really do want to be having energy saving light bulbs all throughout your house. Um, that's definitely worth it. But yeah, we're all really sort of like, okay, we know screen time, no screen time, but energy saving light bulbs. Nobody's I really never, never would have thought of that, that it makes so much. And I mean, I specifically like them in my house because I don't want that like yellow. I'm not, I'm not even, this sounds terrible. I'm not buying them because they're saving the energy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want that jaundice yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, but that's the one we want for sleep time. We all yes. want to look jaundiced at bedtime. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> General rule of thumb here is look jaundiced at bedtime. That's yes, I like that. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> so let's talk about nap times, especially this last year and a half. Like I live for lap, nap time. Yes, absolutely. Um, but how long should each nap be? Depends on the age of the child. And also then depends on how many naps that they, that they are taking a, a day. Um, naps are... Um, begin to develop at around somewhere between four and six months of age. So short one sleep cycle naps are completely normal up until that. Naps then develop one nap at a time. So first nap of the day, then the second and then the third. So you may notice that your first nap is beginning to lengthen out a little bit. Um, and that's it then beginning to develop. So going through one sleep cycle, so then maybe getting connecting two sleep cycles, which is about an hour and a half. Every human sleep cycle is different and children's sleep cycles are younger than ours as adults. Uh, but a child is about 45 minutes. So if you can get two sleep cycles, hour and a half, that's kind of textbook perfect. I honestly think anything over an hour is a good nap. Um, but it depends then, you know, a child who is six months old will probably be on two hour and a half naps and a short little nap, a little cat nap to keep going till bedtime. But then a three-year-old will be there'll be some three-year-olds who are no longer napping and there'll be some who are napping for three hours a day um, it really just depends on the individuals because we all have as humans we have how much sleep is required for us to function and it's very individual so you probably need a very different amount of sleep than i do and you know if you were trying to maybe get the amount of sleep that i get you may not be able to function either because it's too little or it's too much and you just uh, would struggle with that. We want to get your child the amount of sleep that they need to be able okay. to function. So you want to look at how they are if in midway between their naps. So, and this will be with a four month old or with a four year old. You wanna look at how they are halfway between nap and bedtime or halfway between wake up time and nap. How do they seem to be? Are they tired within that time? Because we want them to be tired before their nap. We want them to be tired before bedtime. So don't view that as, oh my God, they seem really tired at bedtime. They should nap more. No, we need them to be tired at bedtime. That means that they're going to be going to sleep. So look at how they are midway through. If they're tired and grumpy then, then they need more sleep. If they're doing okay, then they're doing okay. 
they're struggling to fall asleep either for the next nap or for nighttime, they may need a longer awake period. And that may then mean reducing naps down to accommodate for a longer awake period. So is there an age then that you recommend moving from the two naps to the one or really just following your child's lead? It's somewhere between 12 and 18 months going from two naps to one. The average is 15 months, but any time between 12 and 18 months is pretty normal. You just want to look for the right signs that you're seeing. So struggling to fall asleep for naps. Yep, that pretty much makes sense, especially the second nap of the day. That's the one that children really struggle with. Begin to fall, beginning to struggle to fall asleep at the beginning of the night. So this is not something maybe that they've always had trouble with, but beginning to happen renewed night wake-ups, and then more commonly that we see that you would never possibly put to too much daytime sleep is beginning to wake earlier in the morning. That is what we see when your child is beginning to wake early in the morning consistently. Chances are that's due to too much daytime sleep. So if your child is on two naps, they're probably ready to shift to one nap. So if they're between 12 and 18 months and you're seeing any of these signs consistently for like a week, then it may be time to transition them. The same way as if you are, then they were on one nap, you have a three-year-old and now they're struggling to fall asleep at the beginning of the night, renewed night wake-ups or waking earlier in the morning, reduce down their nap. Don't just drop it, but reduce it down maybe by 15 minutes. And that may mean that you need to wake them. Wake your child very gently. Uh, no, humans do not like being woken up. Um, no. They really don't. As especially three-year-olds are very, very, it's very hard to do because it's yes. just like, yeah, they're not going to be in a good mood if I do this. Um, and so doing it really gently. So spending time doing it. It could be going into their room and opening the curtains and then leaving them for 10 minutes. That's going to stop that melatonin production, which means going to bring them into that lighter sleep. And then you can start putting some laundry away in their room, making noise in the room, gradually sort of bringing them into a lighter, lighter sleep will be easier than you just going in and wake up, time to get up now. That's not gonna end well. Um, so just spend some time doing this, but yeah, reducing down the nap as and when you need to until naps are completely gone. And that's a sad day when naps completely go. Yes, we're, and we're right now, we're kind of in between that stage with my son where some days he just fights it so much yeah. But then by like four o'clock in the afternoon, mm. I can't deal with the anger. Yeah. Like he's just the crabbiest individual. And I'm like, that. I told you, you needed an app. <laughs> yeah. I'm not making this up. Yeah. Hey, I told you had the perfect opportunity to nap. Yeah, did you see how comfortable day. I made that crib look? <laughs> yes. I would still have a, and calling it a quiet time is just sort of, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily going to be quiet, but I would still... Um, insist that he have a, call it a siesta, call it a chill out time, whatever you want to call it. Don't call it a nap time because if he's thinking, you want me to nap, not happening. So just call it something else and just start really small. Start with maybe 10 minutes. This is just time for you to have a chill out. You're going to hang out here for 10 minutes and then we're going to be getting out. You can then increase that time as he gets used to, oh, I can manage this. He'll probably then nap the days that he needs it. And he may not need a nap every single day. It may be that it's every other day or every third day, but then you've given him that opportunity. But he's also had that little bit of a break that I think, which is what we love with naps is it gives everybody that bit of a break. And I think that that is really important for us, um, especially it's important for our children, but I think it's really important for us as parents as well, that we have just that little bit of break in the day, even if it's just for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or two hours, whatever that is. I think it's a really important thing for us. 
It's not as if you're going to be sitting down and drinking cocktails. You're going to be doing the laundry and you're going to be emptying oh, the dishwasher. And you're going to be doing all of those things. But, oh, isn't it nice to empty the laundry, you know, without having a little helper? Um, Talking who... about Olympic sports, the speed <laughs> in which I can now fold laundry. <laughs> so then what, uh, what age are we looking for moving from a crib? So my son is three. Mm-hmm. I know with my daughter by 18 months, we were putting her in a toddler bed for my son. I kind of like him being caged up. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It depends, really depends on the child. Um, and though I don't like to sort of say, oh, well, girls are maturing earlier than boys with this. It, it's pretty evident, you know, with your daughter, you were able to move her at 18 months and yeah, you can either, you can move boys, girls, it doesn't really matter if you do it a little bit earlier. Um, I like to either move early or late. So avoid the two-year-old age of moving a child into a toddler bed because they, if they already used to sleeping in a toddler bed, going through the two-year-olds is okay. Um, if you're trying to introduce a toddler bed with a, with a two-year-old, it can be really, really challenging because if you've ever met a two-year-old, you'll know that they are very impulse-driven. And hey, I can get out of bed. I'm just going to do it. Just no other reason than I can. That's the only reason. And I'm going to do it a hundred times because I can. And that's all they need. They don't need anything else. And that can make that transition really easy. Um, If if you can wait, and that means that your child is not climbing out of the crib uh, because there is a safety issue there, then I would wait until, until you feel that one, you're ready and that they're ready. Um, so either before two or after three with girls, it is normally you can be doing a little bit sort of two and three quarters, two and a half. You can often be doing this. Um, but yeah, I would never try with a two year old. But when you're when you're ready, when you feel that they're that they're ready and you know your child better than anybody, you know, when they're going to be ready for this and when you feel that they're going to be developmentally ready for being able to understand that they need to be staying in bed, that they can then understand that what to do if they do get out of bed, what it is that they need to do, that they shouldn't be wandering around the house. What are the your rules for when they get out of bed? Do they need to sit in bed and call for you? Do they need to come to your room? Do they just need to jump on your bed? Fig- figuring out what it is that you want your child to do. And so if they can understand that, that certainly makes that a little bit easier. Um, so yeah. If you want to make the change now, go for it. But if you're quite happy with them sort of contained in the crib, I would most certainly stick with that. It's not, you know, if it's not broke, there's nothing to fix. Well, I I mean, we're definitely in that stage of life where if there's a rule, it's fun to break it. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, it's good that they're so dang cute. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, We're frozen here. Uh-oh. Why is that not working? No, it's working at my end. Can you not hear me? I Do you know what? I can hear you now. Okay. It's just the video is frozen. Oh, so okay. okay. We'll just make it work. Yeah. Um. So then what size of bed do you recommend? Um, Because I have some friends who went from crib straight to a double bed. Yeah. Others did toddler, then twin, then Mm -hmm. larger. Yeah. 
whatever works for you, whatever, there is no right or wrong. You just want to make sure that your child is safe being able to get out of bed now that they're going to be able to. And remember, it's going to be dark in the room. So we want them to be able to safely get in and out of bed in the dark. So whatever really works for you, some people are putting just the crib mattress on the floor and that's really works for them to begin with. Then they may move to putting that crib mattress on the toddler bed and then moving up. Look at space as well. How much space do you have? There's no point in trying to cram a queen mattress in a tiny little room if that's not if that's not going to work for you. It's really it's sort of what again, you know your child better than anybody. You know where they are developmentally. Are they really active sleepers that they're rolling around all night? that they're likely to roll out of bed. Even if you do have a bed rail, children who are really, really active fidgety rollers around will probably still roll out. So the mattress on the floor might be a better fit for you and your child. It's just really figuring out what's gonna work for your family. There's no right or wrong. Perfect. And then I know with young children, obviously the reason as like infants, the reason we're in a crib or have that crib mattress, just because there's not as much um, buoyancy I don't know if that's a mattress term to it like you need that nice firmness so at what age then is it safe for a child to be sleeping on a mattress that isn't a crib mattress so um about a year old 12 months old that's when you can move them to a little bit of a softer mattress a lot of crib mattresses out there are double-sided they'll have the super firm side and then you can flip it and they have a toddler side which is a little bit um squishier but not a huge amount um so yeah about about 12 months you can do that but remember we all have some people really like really soft mattresses other people like really firm mattresses and it's trying to figure out again what it is that your child likes what's going to work for them Um, and that can be tricky but i do find that as children get older the firmness of a uh, crib mattress can be really really too firm and it just is that they are actually a little bit uncomfortable as they're getting past that year old so then maybe transitioning flipping the mattress if it has a toddler side or as then you change bed getting something a little bit softer um may be better for them because yeah as you can imagine the heavier you are the more that you're on that really firm it just yeah. not quite as comfortable Oh, absolutely. Now, I do have a few questions that came in from Instagram. Mm-hmm. So one, uh, one person was wondering, is it a bad idea to co-sleep from the newborn age? I think her daughter, she was saying was six now and, and still maybe in that co-sleeping stage. Mm-hmm. So um, as long as it's done safely, then I think you're, think you're okay. You've got to remember as well that what it is that is recommended and safe sleep recommendations where it is that you live because they're going to be different wherever it is that you live and looking at safe sleep recommendations um but if you are co-sleeping and bed sharing safely then it's it's safe but it means really really looking at all of those recommendations for bed sharing safely um and whether that is with a six-year-old or whether a six-week-old uh you just want it to be something that everybody who is sleeping on that bed is happy with you your partner and your child um that they're happy with everybody's getting better sleep that way um as well and um just that it's really safe that means that there's no gaps 
in between the mattress wall headboard that the, you don't have covers, you don't have pillows, uh, there's no, you tie your long hair back, you don't have anything loose, really making sure that's really safe and really looking at setting that up to be as safe as it possibly can that you're breastfeeding, that your child is vaccinated, all of these things will play a part here into how that's done safe. So I'd really research that first before, I, I advise anybody, even when pregnant, and whether you're planning on bed sharing or not, to set your your bed up for safe bed sharing, because you remember what it's like with a newborn, you sit in bed and you feed, and because you've already been up a bazillion times, you just fall asleep. And that's when accidents happen because you think, I'm not gonna bed share, I'm not gonna bed share, the space is not safe. And so then you just fall asleep because you're so sleep deprived and that's when accidents happen. So if you get yourself set up from before the baby is born, get yourself set up in that super safe space. If then you do fall asleep whilst feeding during the night, at least that's in a really safe space that that is happening and accidents are much less likely to happen. I like that. That is very good. Because I remember with my daughter, we had no intention. I was like, no, she's going to be in her bassinet. That's why we spent all of the money on all of the expensive things. Yep. <laughs> and then she, for probably about the first eight weeks, would not sleep unless she was on me or like touching yeah. me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there go all of my ideas. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how quickly those ideas go out the window when you have yes. a newborn. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially with my first, because I, I feel like in my head, I was so pre-planned that with yeah. my second, I a little bit knew that nothing yeah. you plan goes as planned. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, hey, you know, we'll do whatever. We'll do yeah. whatever we need to do. Yeah. Now, um, another question was, what are some recommended bedtimes, especially as we're, we're transitioning, maybe even out of that nap time? What are, what are those age brackets? And then also when you do have multiple children, should you be trying to get them to bed at the same time or creating that understanding that older sibling gets Mm -hmm. to maybe have a little bit of extra time? Mm -hmm. So you, the perfect bedtime is going to be different for every single person out there, the same as it is for adults. Um, you want to make sure that your child is getting enough nighttime sleep. So that means that they are waking in the morning naturally, so they are not necessarily needing to be woken up. Then if they're waking naturally, chances are that they've had enough, they've had enough sleep. So if you need to be up for school at whatever time, if your child is waking naturally, then, and they've got enough time, then their bedtime is good. If you're having to wake them in the morning, then they need more sleep. So bringing the bedtime earlier, if you can't let them sleep in later, is the way that you're going to get them extra sleep. But don't suddenly do this. So if you think, actually, yeah, I need to wake my child up every single morning, let's go to bed an hour earlier they're not going to sleep an hour earlier because they're not used to that, but they'll probably be able to fall asleep 10 minutes earlier. Three or four nights later, you go for another 10 minutes earlier, and then you just can sort of bring it gradually earlier. That's much more manageable. Children come into a lull, the sleep sometime between 6.30 and 7.30, and bedtime can be easier for some children at that time. I personally love a seven o'clock bedtime. I think that that's a really good time, but I know that that doesn't work for everybody, especially now that we're headed into summer where it's, you know, where it's, we necessarily don't need to be at school. Um, and the, the amount of so times I hear, but the sun's awake, I uh, must be awake. Exactly, exactly. And so we may shift sleep a little bit and that's okay. That's okay. But yeah, there is no perfect bedtime. And you've got to remember as well, 
it what works for you because I really liked a seven o'clock bedtime because it meant that I was able to get an evening and still not and still go to bed at a reasonable time. I wasn't then up really late with the kids. They went up till nine and then I felt I needed three hours. And then by the time I get to bed, it's really, really late and I'm then missing out on sleep. I would rather my kids went down to sleep at seven. I can then get my three hours in the evening and still go to bed at a really reasonable time. That just sort of worked for me at that at that stage but that's not i understand that's not always possible with working and getting in and the crazy getting in getting dinner and hanging out time is not always possible um so yeah looking at what it is that um how your child sleeps and remember if they're napping they have that luxury of napping i mean wouldn't we all love that luxury of napping that would be yeah. that would just be wonderful but you know if you even if you are needing to wake your child up in the morning and they have that opportunity to nap they're getting caught up on some sleep then so looking at one what works for your family if your child is getting enough sleep that's good just stick with those perfect now When you're a mom, you know how important it is to find a great cleaning product for those hard to clean messes. You also know how important it is to find an eco-friendly product without harsh chemicals. Do South has you covered with their new Neatly, a truly plastic-free multi-purpose cleaner that gets the job done. The best part? It's a concentrate, so you never pay for water. You'll receive four pods, each giving you 750 milliliters of cleaning solution. You'll have more than enough to tackle all of those messes around the house. Head on over to dosouth.ca or check them out on Instagram at dosouthonline. Now I have a little game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Open Up. We play it on every episode. So it's just a few rapid fire questions. Great. All right. So what is something that everyone should experience at least once in their life? Uh, traveling travel you should always you should travel as far as you possibly can um and obviously within your budget and safe but travel i really really think everybody should travel out of their country i like that is a hot dog a sandwich gosh no (laughs) (laughs) what is something incredibly common that most people have done but you have never done oh my gosh um i don't even know i I like to think that in my youth, I was quite adventurous, not so much now that I'm in my 40s, but yikes, what is something that people have done? I've, I I can't even think of anything. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, um, I no longer can say this, but I had never eaten an olive. Oh, really? And then I ate one and I was like, this is disgusting. That's why I had never eaten it. If I wanted a block of salt, I would have just poured some in my mouth. I'm married to an Italian and I'd never eaten an olive until, until I got with him. And now I love olives. I think, yeah, the more you do it. Okay. (laughs) Maybe I'll give it another try. (laughs) (laughs) If you won the lottery, what is the first thing you would spend your money on? Um, Paying off my mortgage. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so that's a that's responsible so, thing to do. That's so that's so 46-year-old woman. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you the most proud? Uh my my kids. My kids make me the most proud. And um how um confident they are. Um and then my marriage as well. I'm really, really proud of the, of my marriage. 
I like those. What is something that you collect? Um, what do I collect? Sleep books. I collect, <laughs> that's really nerdy. I collect old sleep books. <laughs> oh, but you know what? That would be fascinating to see how things have changed yeah, over it time. Is. Yeah. Yeah. The earliest one I have is from like 1870 something. Um, and it's not just sleep. It's a parenting one, but yeah, seeing how archaic everything is. I, books, I love I, it. <laughs> I think I'm scared imagine <laughs> yeah you should be you should be <laughs> now where can everybody find you so you can find me uh, my website is childrensleepconsultant.com you can find me there um you i there's ways that you can work with me um really extensive blog on there and then i have my sleepy tv which you can find my 10 minute masterclasses. that's all they're all free um and the sleep questions you can also find me on facebook which is uh, just my name rebecca mickey children's sleep consultant and then instagram as well which is just children's sleep consultant there perfect and i will link all of those in the show notes so people can easily find you Wonderful. now a quick question then um virtually all of your services can be offered so worldwide yeah yeah i work with families all over the world excellent well thank you so much uh for talking today so much good information and it was it was lovely to chat it was a pleasure thank you so much that's this week's episode of the mom files don't forget to join us next week for another episode Show us some love by subscribing to our podcast and follow along on Instagram at danielle.delaney613 or visit the blog at littlesummerv.com. Thanks for listening.